After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Hey everyone, well, got to tell you, I turned 34 a couple of weeks ago. So, you may not know, but 34 is actually uh, quite a significant age. And the reason for that is, if you've uh, ever had to fill in a survey, you'll know that ages often get categorised in different ranges. And the, the, the numbering goes, usually goes something like this. You have under 18s and then you have 18 to 24 and then you have 25 to 34 and then 35 to 44 and it goes on like that. So being 34 is the last year that I can tick that box and be in with a 20-year-old still. <laughs> After next birthday, I'm going to have to tick that box and be lumped in with a 40-year-old. So <laughs> no offence, no one wants that. But there we go. <laughs> when you get to birthdays, maybe you're like me and you get a bit reflective and you think, oh, my life is ticking away. Have I done the things that I have set out to do? Is my life uh, going along the path that I thought that it would? Has it been a success so far? Have I got time to uh, fulfill other dreams and ambitions? Uh, perhaps it's not so much the, a the age or the number or if you're in your 30s or your 40s, not so much, but the, the questions that we ask ourselves. Has our life been a success or have we we missed opportunities? Have we wasted time? And perhaps you're like me and birthdays, these kind of questions roll around. And your friends and family uh, think it's a time to celebrate and you're dealing with these existential questions and that sort of thing. So suffice to say, I bought myself a sports car. And I thought that'd be a good idea. No, I didn't. But Abram, who we are journeying through with in our reboot series, may well have been tempted uh, to buy a sports car as a sort of a move thinking, my life is ticking away and the things that I want are, are, have not happened yet. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 15, uh, where he is getting uh, quite old, especially for what he wants to do, the one thing in his life that he thinks will make it successful. What we have heard in the passage that has just been read to us is that he feels that there's something, there is something missing. And this passage is, if you were with us last week, you know it follows on from a great success in Abram's life. He did something amazing. He saved his, his nephew Lot. It was a sort of ambitious thing to do, really risky thing, but it, it went well and he has a great success. But that success doesn't seem to translate to him feeling, oh yeah, my life is good. No, he's, he's so aware of what is lacking rather than other things uh, that might be seen by others as a success. And maybe that's what we experience from time to time. Okay, there are some things that are going well, but maybe what really affects us most 
emotionally is the, the one thing perhaps that we lack. Maybe it is um, a relationship or uh, we want to have a family and we don't have that. Maybe it is getting to that position in, in the workplace or uh, fulfilling a certain creative ambition or having a certain opportunity and that sort of thing. Our lives can be even dictated sometimes by those things that go unfulfilled. And for Abram, that was definitely the case. And you can hear the sort of pain and the angst in his voice when he cries out to God. And we heard that in verse 2 and 3 there. He says, I continue childless. Behold, you have given me no offspring. For Abram, his life can't be regarded as a success without having children. For Abram and Sarah, they didn't have any children. And so they judged their whole lives according to that criteria. Now we see in this passage that God responds by promising Abram that he will have children. He will have even more children than he can realize through his child. He'd have as many as the stars will his offspring be. That's what God points him to. But actually what we see in this passage is that God actually gives him something that's even greater than just having a family or generations after him. We have this curious verse that is really significant in the whole big story of the whole Bible. And that's in verse 6 where it says, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is one of the big ideas in the whole of the Bible. That through faith, people like you and me and Abram can receive the righteousness of God. In our lives, maybe we will or maybe we won't achieve the thing that we might feel be the missing part. God doesn't promise that he will fulfill that necessarily, but he does promise us if we approach him in faith, something that's even greater than that. And that was the case for Abraham. It's the case for us as well. The righteousness of God. And so what we're going to do today is going to unpack what, what it means to have faith in God because faith seems the key to get this righteousness. But then also, what does righteousness mean? And as we understand this, it will just reshape, transform our understanding of what it means to have a successful life according to what the Bible says. So let's focus on faith, first of all. There's four things that I want to tell you today um, about faith and what it is and what it isn't. Because when we talk about faith, when the Bible uses the word faith, it's very easy to misunderstand what it's describing. Because often in the society that we live in, faith is presented in a way that's uh, sometimes misleading to us and unhelpful. And the first thing I want to say is that faith is not anti-knowledge. You see, sometimes that's the way it's described. You have your people of faith that believe stuff, and they're in that category. And the other category is, well, people that operate according to knowledge and what we know. And there are two different camps. And, you know, take the example of, well, we know everyone dies. That's something we can witness and we have evidence for. And so that's in this category over here of knowledge. But then over here, some people think, well, there's, there's life after death. And no one can really know that or not. Some people believe it, some people don't. And so these are the two camps. But actually, that's, even though it's, that's the way it's presented to us, that's actually a really unhelpful way of thinking about faith. And actually, no one actually lives like that at all. 
No one can live in the realm of knowledge completely. Everyone is a person of faith. Everyone. You, you operate, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you would say you're religious or not, you are operating out of faith. You, it's impossible to live just according to evidence and knowledge. Let me give you a very everyday example. If you get the bus, you step on the bus, what do you actually know? Do you know that that bus is safe? You, you don't know. Do you inspect it? <laughs> would you know what you're looking for if you were to inspect it? Do you know that the driver is going to take you to where you want to go? You don't know that. He could just, on a whim, take you down to Bognor Regis for the afternoon. And there's probably not much you could do about that. You are actually putting trust in the driver. You're putting trust in the bus company that they are responsible and will uh, follow the timetable. You're, you're trusting the local authority that's given the contract to the bus company. You know some things, but what you know is very little. But you're actually living, operating, making a decision based on faith. Don't say, oh, I live according to knowledge and evidence. No, no, we put faith in people all the time. It's impossible not to live like that. So faith is not anti-knowledge. No, faith is steps we take based on what we know. And so everyone is a person of faith. Secondly, thing to say is that faith is about trust. I talked there about saying you, we put our faith in people or in institution or companies or that sort of thing. But you might say, well, getting on the bus, that's a very silly example of faith. Well, when we think about it, even the basic principles of our lives are faith decisions and faith actually orientates how we even live our lives and the very fundamental things about us let me show that to you by asking you a question who is best placed to dictate how you should live your life if I ask you that question you probably would instinctively say I am I'm best placed if I trust what I believe is right, if I live according to my preferences, if I follow my desires, that is going to lead me to the life that I want to live. In fact, the idea of someone else telling me what to do and living according to someone else's priorities or principles or what they thought was right, that's quite an abhorrent idea in the society we live in because we're kind of, um, we get this idea that we know what's best for us. You know, if I turned up at your house tomorrow at 5 a.m. and said, right, I'm running your life today. Five o'clock, time to get up. I've made some porridge. That's what you're having for breakfast. And don't worry, I've quit your job for you because that job is not what's right for you. What's right for you, you're going to have a new job. You're going to be a painter and decorator. And that is going to lead you into happiness. And that's what I think. But before we get there, also, you're going to learn how to play the piano. So we're going to stop in at the piano teacher's house. And, and this is going to be really good for you. The idea of someone else running your life, is, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever do it? But I could say to you, well, trust me, trust me. This is good for you. This is what will bring you a life of happiness. I'm asking you to trust me, and of course you wouldn't. But if you're not trusting me, you're trusting yourself. You're trusting that you know what's best for you. And I ask you the question, what evidence do you have for that? That is a statement of faith, but is that based on much evidence sometimes it's not when we're really honest with ourselves some of the the evidence of our lives would suggest the opposite 
that actually trusting in ourselves is not the best thing to do because we look back on the li- our lives and the decisions we might have made in the past and when we followed our instinct, when we followed our gut, when we followed what we thought was right in our desires, they led to things that turned out to be mistakes and they were unhelpful for us and they were destructive for us and maybe for other people as well. We realized, no, actually, I trusted in myself and even that wasn't right. We're all people of faith. The question is, who are we trusting? And if we don't trust someone else, we're going to have to trust ourselves. You see, Christian faith is when we recognize, no, okay, God knows what's best. I choose not to trust myself and what I think is right all the time. No, I choose to try and follow what God says is right and good and best. See, this is getting us into what the Bible means by when it talks about faith. It's trusting ourselves to someone. And that's what Abram does. He trusts his life to God. And again, just to get rid of another uh, mistaken idea about faith, it's not that God and the God of the Bible kind of says to us, well, you just got to trust in God without any reason or evidence. No, what we see in Abram's life and what we see in Christian faith is that Christian faith is a response to the character of God. God doesn't say, just believe in me and trust me. No, the Bible is all about God revealing himself to us. God showing through the lives of other people and most clearly through Jesus Christ. God come to us to show us what he is like, to show us that he is loving and that he is good, and that he is faithful, and that he is trustworthy. So that when he does invite us to put our faith in him and follow his ways, that we're doing it based on what we have seen of his character. He reveals himself to us as trustworthy. And then fourthly, faith isn't uh, doubt-free. Faith isn't doubt-free. Sometimes we think, when we think about Christian faith, or maybe you're considering whether to become a Christian or not, and you've got doubts and fears and worries, and you think, do I have to be completely certain about everything about Christianity in order to be a Christian? Well, clearly from the life of Abram, that's not the case. No, Abram has doubts and fears, even even though God credits him with righteousness according to his faith. It doesn't mean his faith is 100%. We've already seen, if you've been following through the Reboot series, that Abram is not always operating out of his trust in God. Sometimes he's trusting himself. And even if you're with us next week, you'll see another example of where he takes matters into his own hands. Now, obviously, his faith is not 100%. Well, well, what is it then? Well, what's important is not the strength of his conviction, but the object of his faith. I don't know if you saw, it was on the uh, BBC News uh, um, uh, last week or so, and the Sky Pool, it's this swimming pool that they've built in London, and it's, it's a bridge across two buildings. It's sort of two blocks of flats, and there is a bridge, a see-through bridge that is a swimming pool that joins the two, and there's people like swimming across. And so if you're you know, afraid of heights, that would definitely freak you out, swimming across and many stories below. You can see people walking about and that sort of thing. And you might ask, well, 
Those people that are swimming across that see-through swimming pool bridge, do they have any doubts and fears? Well, they might do. They might feel this is a bit freaky. Is this bridge going to hold us? It's got all this water and these people in it. But whether they have doubts or fears or not, they're still swimming across. It's not whether they have doubts or fears, it's whether that bridge is strong enough to hold them. And that maybe is an example of what Christian faith is like. We can believe in God, we can trust God with the weight of our lives. And of course, it's natural to have some doubts and some fears. But the question is not whether we have doubts or fears, it's whether we have seen enough in God to orientate our lives according to him and trust the weight of our life onto God and say, God, okay, I've got doubts and fears, I've got questions, but I've seen enough to follow you. I've seen enough to put my life in your hands. And that's what Christian faith is, and that's what the type of faith that Abraham shows us here. He doesn't get things right, but he's orientated his life around God. So the question is, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting with your life? You are a person of faith. Who's that faith in. So that's faith. I want to spend the remainder of the time though talking about righteousness. Righteousness. Because again, if you were with us last week, Stephen described the fact that there are these big concepts in the Bible that can be quite difficult to understand because we don't come across them necessarily in our day-to-day life, but they're so transformative for us if we grasp hold of what God wants us to see in them. You know, Abram just wants a child and God gives him the stars. Abram wants a family and God gives him the righteousness of God. Notice the lavishness of God. God wants to understand that he is so much better than we realize. He offers us and gives us in Christ so much more than we deserve, but even than we expect from him. And righteousness is something that falls into that category. But what is it? Well, righteousness is God's standard of morality, his goodness, virtue, and it's all wrapped up in him. He embodies his goodness and righteousness, faithfulness and morality. That's the righteousness of God. And everyone in life has an awareness of this kind of standard of goodness, moral standards. Because God is a moral being and has made us to be moral beings, we all have a sort of instinctive awareness of good and bad and virtue. In fact, every society has this. Now, we live in a time and age that people say, well, we've moved on from religious ideas of morality and the standards of Christianity. We don't need them anymore. That's the kind of culture that we live in in the West. But that doesn't mean that there isn't any standard or there isn't any morality anymore. No, actually, it's just one has been replaced by another. And that is the sort of feature of the the culture wars that are happening uh, right now all around us. You know, the the left wing, if you're left wing, you say, we want to be free to do and be whatever we want to be. And whatever we want to do and however we want to define ourselves, that is what we're going to do. And by the way, here's a list of things that you can't say anymore. Welcome to freedom. No, it's, it's not getting rid of standards. It's just saying, no, we don't want those standards anymore. These are the standards that everyone should live by. And then on the right wing, you have people saying, oh, no, we don't like this new woke culture. We don't want that. We want to be free 
to make judgments and criticize and, and, and see the world that we want to see and be free to do that. And so they have another set of moral standards and way to see the world. And so you can't get rid of them. They exist in every culture. But that's not because society just creates them. That's because we're all moral beings. We all live instinctively with this idea that there is a sense of right and wrong and what's acceptable and what is not. And, and God has actually built that into us because he wants us to recognise that we are made for his standards and we're made for a relationship with him. You see, even if we roll our eyes at the culture wars and the left and the right and the bickering that goes on, and we might say, oh, we're not judgmental, we don't want to judge anyone, but we still do, we do, we can't help it. We still compare each other. We still look at social media and compare and think, compare that person to that person, that person to ourselves. We still worry about what other people think of us, their standards on, on us. We still have nagging questions in our lives. Am, am I enough? <laughs> Are people going to accept me for who I am? And we can't escape righteousness. We might not call it righteousness, but we live in that world. We can't escape that. And this self-doubt that all of us feel is due to the fact that we were made for God's standard. But all of us, through sin, through turning away from God, that's the state of humanity, we fall short of God's standard. We're made to be in a relationship with him and, and be where he is, but we've fallen short of that. We do things wrong. We say things wrong. We think things that are wrong. We're sh ashamed about who we are. We feel guilty about stuff. It's not just imagined. It's, it's real. It's part of who God has made us to be. And so we have a question. What do we do about that? What do we do about it? Do we try to suppress it? Do we try to create a different moral standard? That doesn't actually help anyone. Do we just pretend that we're okay and tell ourselves and tell other people that you're great, we're great, everyone's great. Oh, we're no deep down. That's just, that's just words. Do they really mean anything? Well, this is where the Christian gospel comes in. This is where the Christian gospel, what Jesus has done, actually so brings true freedom. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you're never going to reach the standard. God's standards, society's standards, your own standard, you're not going to make it. <laughs> you're weak, you're selfish and you're sinful. You and I, we do and say and think things that are wrong. We can't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's. We'll never be righteous. We'll never be what we feel that we should be. But that's not the end. That's the bad news. But the good news is God has come down to us. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, everything changes. Romans 5 verse 1 says exactly that. It talks about, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. By placing our faith in Jesus, everything changes. Am I good enough? No, I'm not. But who is good enough? Who has met God's holy standard? Jesus Christ came to earth, lived amongst us, and yet didn't do anything wrong. Lived a righteous life. And as we put faith in him, we can receive his righteousness. Why? Because he's been to the cross for us. 
2 Corinthians 5 says that. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus had no sin of himself. And yet on the cross, he became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the substitution that takes place at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the transforming work of Christ that is so different to everything else that you'll come across in life. The exchange of our sin for the righteousness of God is only found in Christ Jesus. That's what the cross is about. God does not lower his standard. He doesn't lower the bar so we can get over ourselves. No, he lowers himself. Jesus comes to us to lift us up to him. And that's what the cross is about. Every time that, if you're a Christian, every time that you feel that you have failed, and that'll be often if you're like me, we look to the cross and say, Jesus became my failure there. He took that from me. He took that from me to forgive me, to show me the love of God, to show me that my failure, my weakness, and the way I've fallen short doesn't have to be the end of the story, isn't the end of the story. My story is in him, and my story is about the righteousness of God. That's Abraham's story. That is our story. As we put our trust in Jesus, he's come to us. He's come to us. And this is where faith and righteousness come together as we trust Jesus. We trust what he's done for us. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. He said, you are righteous just because your faith is in me. And that's the same for us. That's the love of God. When I've reflected on this passage this week, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. Why? Why did God do that? All I can see is God loved him. God chose to put his love on Abram. And that's what he does for me and you. He chooses to love us in Christ and make us righteous. Take our sin, take everything that's wrong with us and give us the righteousness, the goodness, the perfection of Jesus so that we can know him, we can walk with him and we can live in relationship with him. Friends, all of us will go through life and we'll be asking ourselves a question. Am I enough? Have I done well? Am I acceptable? I know the answer to that because Christ has died for me. Jesus makes me so. Jesus makes me righteous. Jesus makes my life a success. Do you know that? Do you know that? Put your trust in Jesus today.